welcome to Pilates Elephants. I am here with Emma Jane Rushby. Welcome, Emma. Hi, Raph. Great to be with you. And you. Pleased to meet you. Yeah. We are um, talking across the, really from pretty much opposite sides of the planet. Uh, and we are here today to talk about the development and differences and similarities of Pilates in the UK compared to, I'm going to say broadly the rest of the world, but really, I don't know if I can speak for the rest of the world. I'm just going to speak for my little corner of it. So Pilates in the UK versus Australia, not versus, but just like in comparison with Australia and how uh, the development has been different and um, how we're, you know, where we're similar and where we're not similar. So um, could you please introduce yourself to the Pilates stratosphere? Sure. So I'm Emma Jane and I'm a Pilates teacher in the UK, specifically in Seven Oaks in Kent. And I qualified, I got my certification in 2000. So did my training in the very late 1990s. And my background is in dance. I'm not sure if that's particularly interesting or original because lots of Pilates teachers come in via that route. But however, that is my story, and it does influence a lot of my teaching. So that's my background. And so can you can you tell me uh, your teaching situation currently? Yes, yeah, so I teach Pilates mat work in community centres and church halls here in the UK and um, also Reformer, but I do the Reformer and one-to-one stuff on a very small scale. So the majority of my mm-hmm. teaching is still group, small group. So maximum 12 people in a group mat work situation of varying different levels. Mm-hmm. And so you are self-employed in all of those situations? Yes, I'm self-employed. Yeah, sole trader. It's just me, me doing the whole thing. Okay. And when you're teaching reformer, you said like maybe there's like two or three or four clients in the, in the space. Is that in your, so, is that in your own house or where do you teach? Oh, so, um, I have a reformer coming actually to my own house. It's going to be delivered tomorrow, but I teach, um, with a, an osteopath in my town has a room that he rents out and I share it with. Um, another physiotherapist and we do one-to-ones or I do one-to-ones in there. So that's my setup, quite small. And all right, so this is, uh, in my perception, uh, after uh, talking with a few people in the UK, uh, you know, which I've I've got a tiny sample, (laughs) so I don't know if it's representative, but also um, doing some internet research on just the the industry stats and so forth. My perception is that's fairly typical, like teaching in the community and and church halls, you know, 10 or 12 people with a mat. Yeah, that that is typical. However, there are uh, certainly within the people that I know, um, my Pilates friends, I do know people with their own studios. um, And in their studios, they might, if they've got enough square footage they might be offering um mat work and in conjunction with that they're doing studio sessions 
which is the reformer, the Cadillac, the chair, all the bits and bobs that go with that. So I do know people that have studios. The big reformer classes are starting to happen here. So that is definitely starting mm. to become more popular. In fact, um, I've heard tell that there is a big reformer, um, um, I don't want to say the name, but there is a, a company opening up in our town which will offer bigger. When I say bigger, I still think it's probably six to eight reformers. So I don't know if you would consider that to be big, but that's that's big, I think, for us here. I think. Yeah, in my research, I uncovered uh, a, f- a few lists of like best Pilates classes in London and you know, stuff yeah. like that. And, uh, the, uh, f- I can see emerging, uh, what I would consider group reformer studios, you know, 10 plus reformers. I think most, all the ones I looked at had 10. Um, had 10 plus. Uh, yeah. and there was one called Frame and one called, um, 10 Health and Fitness. Um, right. And, uh, the, the way that they were describing, their classes when I looked on their websites was, was like, Oh, there's this new workout that no one's ever heard of before. It's called Pilates reformer and, you know, kind of describing what it's all about. And it really put me in mind of when we opened um, my studio, Breathe Wellbeing in 2007 in Melbourne, that's exactly the same kind of language we use. Cause people were like, what the heck's a reformer? I've never, <laughs> never heard of one. Okay. So okay. yeah. Yeah. Um, so it feels think- to me like it's, 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 Oh, sorry, you go. No, I was just going to say, I think that there's been a lot of media coverage over the years, and I think people are very familiar with Pilates. So most people that Mm. you would talk to are familiar with it. They know the mat work, and they're becoming more familiar with the the reformer and the other bits and bobs of equipment. So I don't think that anyone would would think that it was a new thing. I mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case. So so but if I if I went walk down this the high street of, you know, whatever town in in the yeah. UK and just asked a random person, you know, what's Pilates, would most of them sort of answer something about mat work, do you think? I'm pretty sure if you stopped someone on the street and said, What is Pilates? A lot of people might say something like, Oh, that's good for back pain I actually think that would be you know if we were playing a game what would be your top answer I I would take a bet that a lot of people would reference back pain because there's been quite a strong rehabilitation type emphasis on Pilates Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. stemming from the mat work yeah I think so that's that's interesting and I don't have stats on this so this is purely anecdotal and I could be you know, wildly incorrect on this, but my perception is actually I did see some stats uh, a couple of years ago in Australia that the the participation in Pilates is overwhelmingly female and uh, sort of twenty to fifty years old as the peak age group, but really thirty to forty and forty to fifty are the the biggest age groups. And I think a couple of years ago, anyway, in Australia when when I saw these numbers, uh, Pilates was the largest, like the most popular single like fitness activity for women in that age group in Australia. Um, That's so, in Australia and, and I think, yeah. again, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just projecting here. I don't know. I might be incorrect, but 
Uh, I think most of those people, if you sort of pulled them up on the street and said, what's Pilates? They would, they would think about fitness and toning and stretching and, you know, like oh. basically exercise type things, I think, rather than back pain. I mean, we, we have the back pain thing here as well, but I think yeah. the majority of people, I believe, would perceive Pilates as more of a fitness type activity. I don't know if they'd use the word fitness, but they'll, you know, they would think about strengthening and toning and all of those other things that you think about in relation to fitness. Yeah. Interesting. I've got, um, this was quite some years ago now. So I can't tell you the date, but I had as a self-employed person, and I do obviously my own accounts and I got, um, my accounts inspected, which is quite a daunting process. So the, mm. I can remember the tax inspector introducing herself to me and asking me what's the nature of my business. And the first thing she said was, Oh, Pilates, that's good for backs. I've got some back pain. And this was in mm -hmm. a very bizarre situation. And that was quite some time ago. So yeah, I think that's been around here for, for a little while. Huh. Interesting. Um, so in, in uh, Australia, at least, I think the development of Pilates you know, roughly preceded that sort of up until the mid-1990s. Sort of, um, it was very boutique, very artisanal and very niche, yeah. like hardly anyone knew about it. It was a sub, sub, sub niche within the, the fitness market. Uh, and sort of in the mid 1990s, mat work really started to become popular and, um, gym, you know, gyms would start teaching mat work classes. People were teaching mat work in halls and all kinds of, you know, you were seeing mat work workouts. I think this was Mari Windsor was, you know, making it super yeah. popular with her, um, TV appearances and stuff. Um, and so that, you know, it really exploded into the public consciousness and became like an actual mainstream popular, Activity and that was all based around group mat work. And then in the in 2010, in fact, uh, that's when in Australia, Group Reformer, like by which I mean, uh, you know, 10 plus reformers in a room with everyone doing a basically a, 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 a simul, everyone simultaneously doing the same workout, you know, with maybe a few modifications yeah. for whatever people, but basically everyone doing the same program together in a class that really started in 2010 where we had our first franchise kx pilates started up and they've now got i'm not sure exact number but like 90 or 100 you know um locations around australia and so now in in the last decade since then it's really uh shifted to group reformer by which i mean 10 plus now really like 14 plus reformers in the room Wow. Um, and I think in Australia now there's virtually, there's very little mat work. Um, like I know people are teaching it. I know it's become a lot more popular since we've been doing a lot of online work since the pandemic, but yes, I think, true. you know, the vast majority of actual brick and mortar Pilates studios in Australia, I think are group reformer studios. And there are still a few, you know, quite a few, um, you know, boutique artisanal small spaces with, you know, the Cadillac and the barrels and all of the things. But I think, yeah. uh, just in terms of the, 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 the number of people doing Pilates, I think like 90% of them would be my guess do reformer Pilates and think of Pilates, you know, when they think of Pilates, they just think of reformer Pilates, like group 
reformer parties. So yeah, so that's kind yeah. of the the back the sort of the backdrop in Australia. Um, can you paint that that last sort of twenty five thirty years in the UK for me? Yeah. So well, the training body that I trained with started their introducing mat work to the masses. I think it was nineteen ninety six, and their whole the whole ethos, the whole value of the training body was to make it more available to more people because by nature of, of the mat work, you can literally take it to more places because you don't need any equipment and you can reach a wider number of people. And I also think it made it more available to more teachers as well to train because mm. the nature mm. of training prior to that was going and doing an apprenticeship, wasn't it? In a, in, as you say, a boutique studio, but with this mat work, this basic mat work course, it enabled more teachers to be introduced to the method, which then brought it more widely to more people, which I think is a really wonderful thing. I, I still, I still think that's an important value system. And I still think that people, there is definitely an appetite for mat work here. I'm absolutely not saying that it's better or worse than the equipment because the equipment's great, but I still think it makes, it, it gives it a wider reach. And I also feel that um, talking personally about a lot of my clients, as I mentioned to you before, I'm pretty sure they would still find walking into a Pilates studio of any description a little bit intimidating. I don't think I'm making a huge assumption. I, I think that would be the case. Um, and I think walking into a group mat work class in a community centre is less intimidating perhaps for some people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I don't want to make a, a huge generalisation, but I have a, a sense of that. And also, in my mind... I have sort of two different strands. I think of um, exercise and then I think of activity, which you might do for pleasure and fun, like mountain biking, swimming, cycling. And I put Pilates in that category as well, because you might just want to do it as a fun activity, which is what I do personally. I don't have any specific back pain or injuries. So I really enjoy doing still a mat work Pilates class, even after. So if I qualified in 2000, that's quite a long time. And I still haven't lost my joy in that kind mm. of movement. And I think that's a strong value that still holds mm. and then just going back to the exercise I see there's a slightly different strand which might have a more of a very specific goal in mind so mm. whether that be strengthening more specifically or tying your shoelaces or rehabilitating from your hip replacement I see that kind of exercise, which Pilates it can also be really great for. Mm. And then I see the pleasurable, just joy 
of moving. Mm. So I think, and, and there are crossovers as well. Yeah. Do you see, does that, that make sense? Yeah, that is a really uh, intriguing insight to me. And I hadn't thought of uh, this until you just said that, but I think in a, in Australia, we, with the rise of the group reformer studio uh, and really just the explosion through the, the whole of the last sort of decade or, or a bit more, um, you know, a group reformer studio kind of by its nature employs, you know, six or eight or 10 instructors. They put on a whole bunch of classes through, through the week. And so, and, and it's, it's a relatively casualized industry. Uh, and so there's a relatively high turnover of instructors. Like I think, you know, like any, industry that employs kind of 20 and 30 year old people, they, they're in a stage of their life where they're, you know, they're studying and they're moving house and they're getting new jobs and whatever. So there's a relatively high turnover of, of staff. And so uh, those group reformer studios, you know, constantly are recruiting. And uh, I know, you know, many of the owners of these studios and, you know, this is probably their biggest headache is like, how do I find a lot of new, new, excellent trainers and so what a lot of them have done in australia is uh, just because there's not a big enough pool of trained pilates instructors you know like if if you need you know if you're opening a studio and you need like 10 instructors you know for your studios like there's just probably simply aren't 10 great pilates instructors within a geographical radius that will you know work at your studio so a lot of them have gone to uh personal trainers slash, you know, fitness, um, you know, coaches um, and basically said, right. okay, you understand exercise. Let me give you a short course on the, the Pilates, you know, exercises. Uh, and then, you know, you like a six-week course or whatever that is specific to that brand of Pilates, you know, whatever they teach in that studio, like an in-house kind of qualification. But the the, the main kind of, qualification or certification that most of the trainers had or the original one is their fitness training. And so those people have right. really brought, I think in Australia, that fitness um, approach and mindset, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think it's a great thing, but they you know, they really think about, you know, targeting muscles and, you know, getting the burn and strengthening and results and all of the things that you talk about in a personal training <laughs> session. Uh, and I think mm. that the, you know, that's definitely a large influence in Australia. And I agree that in Australia, there's also that other, you know, quite significant segment, I think, which sees Pilates as a, uh, an enjoyable pastime, like it's a, it's Pilates as play, as you say, and it's like exploration yeah, and yeah. You know, making which shapes. Has health and, and wellness benefits. Mm. Right, right, right. Sorry, but, I was just going to say you know, that also has health and wellness Sorry, Raph. Yeah. I was just going yeah. to say that I feel that has strong health and wellness ben- benefits. Yeah. Right. Right. But it's not, uh, so definitely, uh, I agree, but it's, it, I think, you know, in that kind of Pilates as play, uh, space, you know, it's not really, we're not targeting like, oh, I want to get bigger triceps or I want to tone my XYZ body part or whatever, you know? Um, no. Yeah. No. So, so that's Actually, interesting. I was, and I, 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 you go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say when you mentioned toning there, because you've just done a post on toning, haven't you? Yes. And I had, um, I had an experience where a client had been coming for a little while and she came up to me at the end of a class and said to me, 
when are we going to be doing toning exercises? And I think I probably stood there, didn't really think quick enough. I was a bit, I was, I was surprised by what she'd said. And when I reflected on it, because it wasn't a, it was probably, there was a lot of classical exercises. We were probably doing all the, you know, the abdominal stuff, um, just everything you would get in a, in a classical Pilates class, not a, not an easy beginner's class. So I was a bit surprised by the comment. And then I realized it's because I just don't use any of that language in my, in my teaching. It's just not yeah. a place that I, it's not a value that I bring through in my teaching. So my personal, and this is no disrespect to anybody that uses this language, but personally, I would never talk about booties. Mm-hmm. I don't know if any British people talk about booties in their Pilates class, but that just wouldn't be in my vocabulary. And I think because I'm not using that language, she felt that she wasn't getting whatever mm-hmm. she was looking for in the class. So I think um I think sometimes it's it's important to know what your clients are looking for. So I think Sometimes I would say someone, if someone said, what is Pilates? I might say to them, what do you need Pilates to be for you? Cause I think it's important that you, that people understand what they're going to get. I had a little boy when I used to teach dance years and years ago and he was about eight and he used to come into class really happy, bouncing around, dancing around. And one time he came up to me and said, when are we going to do karate? And. <laughs> I thought, oh no, um, someone's kid. really misled you. Someone's really misled you. I don't know if that was your mum mm. or your dad. It wasn't me. And I really hope that he found what he was looking for. I really hope that he eventually found that class. So, um, yeah, we can get our wires crossed, can't we? So I think it's important mm. that everyone knows knows what they're getting. Poor well, I think chap. we've all seen the little cartoon <laughs> that says... I think we've all seen the little cartoon that says, "Oh, Pilates." I thought you said pie and lattes, but uh, I don't. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of uh, Pilates. I thought you said karate. I don't think I've ever seen that one before. <laughs> Poor little guy. He was just like, "This is not what I signed up for." No, I can see why he would be disappointed. <laughs> when are we going to break oh. some boards? Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. So. Uh, I th- you know, like there's definitely a part of the Australian uh, industry that that would be 100% in parallel with what you – or sympathetic with what you just said about basically, you know, it's not about the booty or, you know, whatever name you're going to use for the butt. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's about, you know, it's about more general benefits like just feeling, you know, mentally healthy, feeling physically energised and enjoying your session and yeah. having some me time and connecting with other people and all, you know, just having some fun, basically. Yeah. Um, and also strengthening. I think strengthening, we can talk about strengthening, can't we? And I think that's what you say. And mm. that's what you were saying in your recent post, that the strengthening, I, I wish we could emphasize that more. Um, mm. And especially with, you know, in the UK, there's a, been a massive furore about uh, menopause. I don't know whether that's been similar for you in Australia, but lots of women are now coming forward wanting more strength work huh. because they're suddenly realizing that they need 
to look after their bones and build their mm-hmm. muscles. So that is something that's really very big here at the moment. So, um, but that's great, isn't it? That more people it's are fantastic. looking for strength work. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. I mean, yeah. Um, and, really. and those people, you know, perimenopausal women are just like squarely in the demographic of people who are, you know, ripe for, <laughs> for Pilates. So that's, yeah, yeah that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was really good. I was, and and I wish that we could. Oh, you, you go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say I wish that we could um, introduce that much earlier as well. So with the young younger demographic, I don't. I, I I admit that that's not really doesn't make up much of my clientele. But I would love it if strength, which I think it is to some extent, but if that was more of an emphasis with younger females <laughs> so that they, by the time they get to this stage, they've built up their bone bank rather than worried so much about their booty. But there we go. That's like a, that's a whole other and thing, isn't do it? You, in your perception, I mean, I realize this is just purely just from your own perspective as a lot of what I'm saying is just from my perspective. Um, you know, do you, I know that you don't teach that way, but do do you see like just the marketing of other studios or, you know, conversations you have with sort of relatives, friends and random members of the public? Do you think that that is kind of, you know, the, the majority uh, of people or the norm where people, uh, you know, like you said, you don't think people talk about the booty in, in the UK there? Like, is that, is that, (laughs) is that a UK wide, thing um because in australia like you know i'm I mean, even back like a 15 years when i was teaching classes all the time i you know at the start of class for for a couple of years i would go in and say hey you know what does everyone want to work today you know what do you what do you want to work on today and without fail it would be like i want to work on my butt i want to work on my inner thighs and i want to work on my triceps but i don't want to do push-ups you know that would be like the, <laughs> the thing that <laughs> That I would hear it. And after a while, I stopped yeah. asking because I was like, oh, I know what you're going to say. Um, but, you know, it was funny that, and, and, you know, probably that was a skewed sample of those of people who happened to be in my class, you know, at that time in that space. And, you know, maybe if it had been in a different time and place, people would have said, oh, I want to just explore and play and have fun and stretch and, and get stronger and feel good mentally and whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. So, what's your perception on that? Yeah, well, my perception is that that probably happens. Um, I think that, I think people would reference glutes, if I'm mm-hmm. being serious. Huh. I think people would talk about glutes. It's like glutes have taken over the world. I have. It used to be, <laughs> when we started, it used to be, uh, transversus, yeah, didn't yeah. it? Transversus was having its time in the limelight, <laughs> enjoying the spotlight. Yeah. And now that's like a has been. And it's like a movie has been, and now it's the glutes. The glutes are going to take over the world and solve all our problems. Isn't that funny? So I think <laughs> um, people would talk, oh, yeah. Um, and I think also, unfortunately, in the UK, people reference bingo wings. But if I get any kind of, if I, if in my class someone uses that type of language, I just smile and move on. And I think... It's completely led by the values of the person leading the Mm -hmm. class. And we're all different. And that's fantastic because I think we all need to bring what we've got and how we want to present our classes. And there are 
clients, mm-hmm. as you would definitely say, I'm sure there are clients for yeah. us all that sh- share in our values. 100%. And that's, and that's fantastic, isn't it? That's fantastic because Joseph Pilates would be so happy that more and more people were doing Pilates because I'm no history expert, but I'm sure did he not say that that's what he wanted for everyone to be doing his method. But all those different people in the world, all coming with their different beliefs and values, and there needs to be different teachers to serve all those people. And I think that's great. You just won't hear me ever in a million years talking about booties in my class. <laughs> That's just me. I'm so, I'm but I'm sure you. there is someone out there who will. Oh, there are, I think there, yeah. are, there are plenty out there yeah. who will. Um, I'm so with you on. Yeah, and that's great. On uh, you know, having a diversity of different uh, teaching styles, client motivations, uh, you know, values, marketing strategies, whatever. I think come yeah. one, come all. It's it's great that there's a fitness you know style of Pilates. I love the classical. I love um, well, probably like personally don't love contemporary as much, but I think people who teach contemporary and love it, like more power to you, more power to you. Um, and that's a good a force for good in the world. What, what is it that you don't like? <sighs> what is it you don't like about the contemporary? And I, I, I just want to be really clear here that if you, if you're listening to this and you teach contemporary Pilates, I love you. I respect you. You know, keep doing what you're doing. You're making people happy. Mm. You're making people healthy. You, you're, you're leaving the world a better place <laughs> than you found it. So, you know, I don't. Yeah. Uh, but I just think personally, I definitely teach that too. Yeah. For myself personally, in my own so I, practice, I don't enjoy that sort of like super detailed way of teaching that often goes with contemporary, like, you know, contract this muscle, move the, your toe one millimeter to the left. Like when I was doing my stop Pilates training, it was, I was just like the whole point, the toes flex the toes thing that just used to drive me bananas. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> I personally, I much more resonate with the original Joseph's original contrology style, uh, choreography, which is a lot simpler than, than the classical, sorry, the contemporary, uh, style of choreography. So, yeah, I mean, I think the benefits are just the same either way, right? It's, you know, it's, it's all fantastic. It's all good. Uh, mm-hmm. but just in my own body and brain, I prefer a kind of a more simple, I mean, I like Joseph's style of movement as well. He's kind of herky-jerky and moves really fast and big movements and all his instructions are like, lock your elbows, lock your knees, yeah. lock your shoulders. <laughs> that, that resonates with me yeah. just, just yeah. physically when I do the practice. I enjoy that more. And what about the progressive element? Uh, because I, I, I think my teaching is a bit of a hybrid, mm. if I'm honest, but I definitely use progressions and I definitely in my classes um, don't make assumptions that everyone is a beginner because even if you haven't done Pilates before, you might walk in and be able to do, you might be able to do the hundred on day one, even if you've never done Pilates before, just because of whatever else you've been doing in your life. But I I think there is a place for that progressive layering as well. And that's been really useful to me. So just going back to the knee fold situation, the knee, (laughs) the good old knee folds. um, 
I think there, there, there's a place for them, but not forever. And I think having as much, as many movement options as possible so that whoever comes walking in the door, you're not going to be thrown and you will have something to offer them. I think is great. And if, and if they're not someone that's going to be able to do the full hundred on day one, you need to have lots of other options in order to progress them. Yeah, I agree. Would you agree yeah, with that? I agree entirely. Yeah. Um, I, I, we, uh, yeah. in our training, we teach progressions. We call them layers, but it's the same thing. And basically the way, when I learned Pilates originally, I learned this is stop Pilates system, and you know, I basically I, don't, I think there are like five hundred exercises or so in that whole sort of curriculum, um, and I really conceived of them as just five hundred unique individual exercises that I had to learn and memorize the breath patterns and all of that stuff for, and it wasn't until you know years later where I realized like oh no they're all basically versions of like four or five movements. It's like there's a, a forward bend pattern, there's a backbend pattern, there's a, a straight, you know, plank style pattern, you know, there's a rotational pattern. So basically it's like, okay, if you think about an exercise like cat stretch, okay, like the the flexed part of cat stretch, you know, where you did the angry cat part, it's like, okay, well, that's basically the yeah. same position as the hundreds, mm-hmm. as the roll up, as the one leg stretch, as the scissors, as the, you know, and you could list off hundreds of like probably 150 200 Pilates exercises and all are basically that same pattern and of some of some of them are a lot harder and some of them are a bit more complicated but basically it's the same you know you know basic movement and so that when I understood that is like oh one third of Pilates is just cat stretch you know like a harder version of cat stretch yeah. <laughs> um, that really enabled me to yeah. start programming much more easily and fluently for people because I could then just go, okay, well, if if you can't do the hundreds, well, there's like 50 other exercises that are like in in like tiny gradations. You can make it a tiny bit easier, a tiny bit easier again, a tiny bit easier again, or you can make it a lot easier, you know, and you can regress them all the way back to pelvic clocks on the, you know, on a, on a mini fitball, which in my mind is just cat stretch but you know a lot easier <laughs> so yes yeah, so i think that um absolutely yeah, that lo- absolutely. that idea of progressions i think is core to the way that i think about uh teaching pilates and what we teach in our in our training courses yeah and those uh, and when you're first starting out on your teaching journey i don't think it's always easy to spot that straight mm. away i think that takes a little bit of time to make those associations I always found because I used to be a a supervising teacher which means that when the students were doing their training they could come in and practice on real what what I call (laughs) real bodies so members of the public which is very different to practicing on your fellow um, student teachers isn't it in a studio so coming out to the community center and seeing real people in the way they move um there was definitely a stage where they were teaching from the manual and not actually able to see, really see the, the people in front of them. And then there's a shift where they start to relax into it more and then they're actually able to um, see the people and the shapes and the, the movements at joint level. 
and then be able to recognize those different shapes and different movements. But when you're first starting, it's a lot to take in, isn't it? If you've not done any kind of teaching in that way before. Yeah. I think, um, what you're describing, I think of it as, as a parallel with driving. And we've talked about this a lot when we were developing our course that when you're first learning to drive, your focus is really quite close. It's within the cabin of the car. You're thinking about the gear shift and the pedals and the, the steering wheel and the buttons and the turning signals. And you're thinking about all those, you know, those detailed things that are inside the cabin. But as you become more and more skilled and comfortable driving, like after you've been driving a few years, you don't really think about any of that. You're looking outside at the traffic, at the road ahead, at, you know, thinking, so you start to focus, you know, and so I think the start to focus outside the car and the, the mechanical actions of driving become kind of second nature and you don't think about it. And I think that's the same with teaching Pilates. When you first start, you're very focused on, you know, the mechanics of how do you, how, what words do you say and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, whereas as you become more experienced and that stuff becomes kind of second nature and you just become less anxious, I think, basically, and you stop focusing on yourself and what you're doing, you start focusing on the clients more and yes. you notice what's going on for them and that becomes your focus. Yeah, yeah. and that's when you're really teaching right. and you can sort of um, – I always think with the class plan, you have your class plan, but it's a bit like a birth plan. So it, it's comforting to have it there, but you've got to be prepared to throw it out the window if you need to and be able to react to the situation as it's happening. So yeah, that's, that's a lovely moment, isn't it? When you really feel that you're teaching then and responding to real people. And then you can think about the language that you're using, which we know is oh so important and, um, I had a, I had a fairly new experience just going back to the strength and funnily enough, the personal training. I've, I've started doing a little bit of strength work because I want to, I want to remain strong. And, um, we were doing a chest press, which is very, it's a new experience for me. And he said to me, he was spotting me because I'm really not very good at it. And afterwards he said to me, there's no shame in not being able to do it, Emma. And I didn't, you know, he's a lovely guy and I didn't take offense, but it stayed with me. And I thought, well, I wasn't feeling mm. any shame mm. in not being able to do it. But, but you, you said that now. And I'm thinking, should I be ashamed of not being able to do it? It was just interesting that being as a student, it just made me aware of, how, you know, things that comments that we make. Um, can be very powerful, can't they? So, hmm. yeah, being a student and picking up on what the teacher said, I just thought that was really interesting. So I'm very, you know, mindful about language and um, the whole thing about the fear hmm. language, which is prevalent, hmm. isn't it? Not making people scared about their movement, hmm. which they definitely are. Hmm especially in that rehabilitation environment. Yeah. Uh, and probably that is the biggest yeah. single shift in my thinking and teaching from my original contemporary training with Stop Pilates to, you know, the way I teach and think now is uh, I think when I learned yeah. it anyway, Stop Pilates was very focused on, you know, picking up the things that were quote wrong, end quote, you know, with, 
the person's posture or yes. their technique or yeah. their muscle balance or their range of motion or their whatever it was. And so I was very sort of nitpicky in to, to my thinking about like, okay, let's find all the things that aren't good, <laughs> quote, you know, uh, about this person. Yeah. And, and I think, I went, yeah, so yeah, I, I, I really think, uh, well, one, it turns out, and we've talked about this a lot on this show over, over the years, but it turns out that most of those things that are quote wrong actually aren't wrong. They're just like normal human variation. Um, and that even when you have something that is like, oh yeah, you, this client like objectively isn't very good at this move, right? That's, that's a real possible situation, right? Yeah. That it's much more effective. It's yeah, much more effective yeah. in terms of how the client will improve, you know, to facilitate them getting better at it. It's actually much better to focus on what they're doing right in the move and, and to, encourage them yes. to do more of that and to then maybe focus on what else they could yeah. do right now, rather than focusing on what they're doing wrong or how they didn't, you know, quite get it right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So powerful. I, I can remember one of my really early movement experiences. So obviously coming from a dance background, uh, there's been some negative movement experiences, but I can remember one teacher, I was doing something across the room and there must've been something that looked a bit clunky and weird with my arms. And she came up to me and said, what, what can we do to make this feel better for you? What should we do? And we, we discussed it together and that was probably about 40 years ago. And I can still remember the, the way she spoke to me was very respectful and she humanized me, which is un, which was unusual for a teacher to do that. It's normally just, you must do this. But I can remember that interaction, that respectful interaction, even now to this day, which was, it was more of a collaboration, not just, I see you, you need to mm -hmm. do this. It was more, what can we do to make that feel better for you? Um, which I appreciated. So that's a value that I think I really have kept and want to bring through in my own teaching. So you pick up things through life that are important mm. to you and, um, and pass them on to other people, I it, think, don't you? Which is. Isn't it is uh, wonderful how just those tiny little interactions that I imagine that that woman has completely forgotten about that conversation years since. But it's made oh, such a, such an impression on you, yeah. and uh, yeah, I'm sure it's that we all we each have those yeah. moments where we've had little interactions with a client where it's like completely passed us by as an instructor, but the client is really making a big, big impression on the client. Um, hey, I, yeah, in absolutely. my um, in my research before uh, our conversation, I was looking at a whole bunch of industry stats on, um, the size, just this kind of like, um, the size of the market, the revenue number of studios, et cetera, in the UK and Australia and the U S mm -hmm. and this is from, um, Ibisworld, um, stats and also from, um, a place called finder.com on the UK. Uh, and what I was able to find really quite surprised me. Um, so, you know, the, just for context, uh, the population of the U US is about 330 million. In the UK, it's about 67 million. 
and Australia is mm-hmm. 26 million population. Um, and in, in the, the, the size of the US market in, and now in, in all of the industry stats, they always put yoga and Pilates, they smush all that in together, right? So it's really hard to, to tease out how much of this is yoga and how much of it is Pilates, but that's, you know, that's the data we have. Um, so in the US, the size of the market, and this is Pilates and yoga, and this is, these stats are from 2021, um, is 12.8 billion. Um, in the UK, it's 825 million, and this is all in US dollars. And in Australia, it's 568 million. And so, what uh, what's you know what interests me? What interested me about that is well, well, the U- the US is like five times the population of the UK, or five and a half times, not five times, and it's ten times the population of Australia. Um, but the the size of the industry, just in terms of revenue, um. The 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 UK is not like we the UK has double the population of Australia, but doesn't have double the the revenue. So Australia is five hundred and seventy million, UK is eight hundred twenty five million, which is like one point five times the revenue. Whereas it's double the population, so it's per yeah. per capita, yeah. it's a lot less yeah. in the UK. Uh, the number of studios in America forty one thousand, in Australia three point two. 3,200 in, in the UK, 4,300. So again, it's not it, – the UK has one-fifth of the population of the US, but it's got one-tenth of the number of s- studios. The UK has double the population of Australia, but it's only got like mm-hmm. 1.3 times the number of studios. Uh, and then um, mm. I, the final thing I kind of looked at was I just calculated based on the stats like the number of studios – and this again, this is yoga and Pilates combined – um, per million population in each country. And in, in the U S it's 124 studios per million population in Australia, it's 123. So it's like Mm -hmm. almost identical in the UK. It's 64. So half, half as many studios per million population. So I found that fascinating. Mm. Uh, and, and, Mm. and employees in the industry actually found as well. So in the UK, uh, sorry, in the U S uh, it's, Per million population in the country, uh, there are 481 people employed in yoga and Pilates. So basically, yeah, 481 per million. In Australia, it's 376. And in the UK, it's 244. So mm-hmm. I, it just seems to me, you know, right. I guess my takeaway from these stats, and again, it's yoga and Pilates. So it's, you know, who knows how much of this is yoga and how much of it is Pilates, and it might be different for each country. But overall, those stats suggest that mm. the UK industry is much smaller relative to the population size. It's smaller in terms of the number of studios, it's smaller in terms of the number of instructors, and it's smaller in terms of the revenue um, that that is generated um, relative mm. to the population size, which yeah, surprised surprised me quite a bit. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Well, as I said, there's a big studio opening and there are in my, so I'm just a little bit southeast of London. So I'm, I'm fairly close to London. So perhaps London would be the epicenter and then it spreads out from there. And then I'm not, you know, I can't speak with any authority, but perhaps, um, it starts to diminish 
and there's less and less as it spreads out from there possibly i don't know i feel like in uh, we're doing quite well in my in my town for yoga and pilates teachers and studios so but you know mm. that's not everywhere is it it's difficult to well, um yeah difficult to gauge i think you know because these are you know, industry level stats um that it may well it could be i mean i don't know how they put these stats together, but I imagine they sort of look at tax returns and census data and you know, surveys and things like that. Um, you know, mm. maybe because in the UK, and I'm just kind of guessing here, but because a lot of Pilates happens at community centres and church halls and things, maybe there's just like a lot of those things fly under the radar yeah. in in these kinds of stats. And it's like you know, people just take cash up front and doesn't declare it on their tax return and so they're not technically an employee or you know, so maybe, maybe, maybe a lot of that's invisible on these kind of, um, know. you know, industry level surveys. Yeah, I don't know. Possibly, I don't know. I couldn't speak with any authority on that. Or, I don't know. I definitely pay my I'm, taxes. I'm sure you right? do. Uh, or maybe <laughs> um, the UK industry is is primed for a massive explosion, like an almost, you know, doubling in size over the next decade because uh, it's like, yeah, it's, there's lots of opportunity there that's not, that's uh, still in the potential phase. Yeah. Untapped, Untapped potential. potential. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. Possibly. Huh. So, um, you know, do you have – do you have a view on, you know, how do you see Pilates, if at all, has changed over the last year or two of the pandemic? You know, like we've we've seen in Australia, and I think internationally, I think with we're seeing a proliferation of online classes now. When I was doing my research in the UK as well, I saw a whole mm. bunch of studios have on demand and live streamed options as part of their package now that you can you can sign up for. Uh, these are brick and mortar studios I was looking at, uh, and that's the same in Australia yeah. as well. I think a lot of US companies yeah. are doing it as well, and uh, and so that has kind of brought back a lot of like that has kind of been a resurgence. There's been a resurgence of mat work, I think, in Australia because of that, because of it being online. Um, but I wonder if that has changed. At, yeah. Wonder if you know what's your perception of how, if at all, that has changed. The industry landscape, or and just the prospects for Pilates teachers in the UK. Yeah, well, I agree. It has definitely shifted. So when, um, when that happened, and we all went online, I went online alongside everybody else, and then subsequently, when we all went back. And we were able to do in-person classes. I gave my clients a choice and I fully expected them all to want to go back to in-person classes. And I was very surprised that, um, a significant number have still requested mm. to stay online. And I was quite surprised. Um, but very happy to do it. So, so I have a number who are doing online and then I have a number who have gone back to, in-person classes and I see that I think is the same with my peers I think everyone now is almost everyone is offering some kind of online service so 
So I think that's definitely the case. Um, and the same with studios. So I think, um, the only thing is, I don't know how many people have their own reformers at home. So it's basically Matt's work based classes. There are some people that have mm. reformers at home, aren't there? But the other thing that I think it's shifted is for the teachers. I think it's opened up a whole new world for the teachers. So, I mean, it's quite mind-blowing, isn't it? It's like a seismic shift in our culture. So you could only originally ever really know what anyone else was doing if you went to someone else's class. And you could only really get ideas for new you know, choreography and repertoire, mm. if you went to someone else's class and wrote it all down diligently afterwards. But now this whole world has opened up and you can see so many different teachers, so many fantastic teachers. And, um, and also from the education point of view as well, it's opened up new horizons in terms of education, mm. which is fantastic for teachers. So I think, um, I think, yeah, that's really mm. interesting and unexpected. I mean, there was always the online stuff before, but yeah. now it's just more so and people are, um, are definitely I going think, down the uh, road. I think I agree with. Which is what drew me to, sorry, beg your pardon, but it's what drew me to, um, Pilates Elements, which is how I first learned about you. And I know that's the case with other people here through your podcast was the first that I learned about you and your education. And when you find other education systems that share the same values as you, um, then that's wonderful because it opens up so many more possibilities. Yeah, it is wonderful. Because you're always, always learning. The training's the never Pilates done, The Pilates industry, mm. I think. What was it that Gandhi said? Sorry, I was just going to say about what does Gandhi say about, um, I've forgotten, there's a quote about learning as if you were going to live forever. So in other words, you just continue your learning. There's, it's never too late. You know, there's never a day where you say, there's no point in me learning anymore now. You just got to keep mm. learning as if you were going to live forever. Uh, yeah, I, I cool. really uh, resonate with what you say there about um, essentially connection, you know, finding other like-minded um, people around the world. Yes. That I think the Pilates industry is very kind of fragmented or was very fragmented, still probably is to a to a certain degree with everybody kind of like just doing their little thing in their little tiny corner of the world and not really knowing what anyone else was doing, you know, two villages over sort of thing. Uh, whereas now we have this, you know, amazing uh, worldwide connection through the internet and through podcasts and through, you know, YouTube and, and whatever, where we actually can connect. Like if they, if we're into some kind of weird niche subspecialty part of Pilates, like there's someone else in South Africa or, <laughs> you know, wherever who's, who's into the same thing and has the same values and the same clients and we can connect with, with each other. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's a big drive behind this podcast is to connect people who are like-minded and, and share that, you know, value science and becoming better and 
you know, yeah, all of that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been a, just a fantastic, you know, unexpected side effect of this whole pandemic is that it's a, it's enabled a lot more connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, something that I think a lot of instructors struggle with uh, and I struggled with for years is just feeling isolated and lonely and feeling like they're doing it alone, even though when when we do our training, like for most of us, it's a really positive experience. It's so much fun hanging out with other Pilates lovers and geeking out over anatomy and learning all the exercises together, like so much fun. But then you think, oh, that's, this is awesome. I love this. And then you go out and start teaching. It's like, oh, no, I'm just by myself all the time now <laughs> teaching this. And even though you're with clients, like, you know, you feel, yeah, you know, totally a lot of people, I think I know, feel feel isolated and and, you know, start wondering if like, okay, there are certain things I'm wondering about. It's like, am I just weird? Does everybody else understand this stuff? Or yeah, so we, we, it's really easy to get inside your own head and start overthinking things when you really feel isolated and alone. So I think that's a fantastic side effect of the pandemic that we aren't able to connect more now. And that's a big driver behind why we do this podcast. I just want to um, also yeah. uh, talk about so you said you know you mentioned already um uh you know the the cross-cultural or cross the cross-pollination between different instructors you can go on and get inspiration for new choreography and exercise and things and that's wonderful and also that that Mm. some clients you know a significant portion of clients actually prefer to have their sessions um online I think, you know, that both of those are so true and so valid. Yeah. I think there's a third thing uh, which occurs to me, which is that uh, we're no longer as instructors limited uh, to our own immediate geographical area. So if you live in a, a tiny village and, you know, some yeah. area where, okay, there's maybe there aren't a lot of people who are in your target demographic, it's like, well, now that's not a limiting factor. You can have clients on a different continent in, you know, so you can just go and find your, your, in the same way that you can find some kind of like-minded instructor in some random place somewhere else in the world, you can find a like-minded client, you know, anywhere in the world. And it doesn't have to be limited to people who live within a 10 minute walk of your local community hall. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, um, and amazing. I mean, in, certainly in terms of being a teacher wanting to carry on learning, but also, you know, teachers taking their own classes. I've been able to do classes with all sorts of teachers that I never would have been, you know, just thinking about even in the UK, it would have cost me quite a bit of money and you know, time away from my family, organizing childcare to go and do a class, whether it be in London or, you know, teachers wherever. Now, um, there's one teacher that I'm thinking about. She might even listen, Lisa Bradshaw. I hope you're listening. Um, that I've been able to do her class on a Saturday morning and I never would have been able to do that before. And she's so lovely and it makes me so happy that it's, fantastic positive that's mm. come out of it mm. it is that is that is amazing and there is just uh some amazing teachers around the world and it's it is such a blessing now that you can for a lot of these people you can yeah. literally just go out and sign a, up and do a class with them like they're they're just teaching two blocks away from your home it's amazing yeah 
Yeah. It is cool. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> um, so it feels like we're kind of coming to the end of the conversation. Is there, is, Do you feel like we've missed anything? Is there anything, you know, that you feel like we need to, to highlight? Um, I think we, I think we've chatted about the things that we were going to chat about, haven't we? That, um, we're teaching so many different humans and there needs to be a a huge variety of teachers to be able to teach all those different humans. And, um, and now with the whole internet opening everything up, we're managing to do that. And I think Joseph Pilates would be very happy and I very think he proud. would be too. So mm. I think we've covered. And when and when you it. when you're talking with yeah, your UK based clients, say gluteals, <laughs> not booty. Yeah, I just can't imagine their faces if I if I said booty. <laughs> I don't even think a lot of them would even know what that was. To be honest with you, Ralph. Uh, Emma Jane, thank you so much. It's been a been a pleasure talking with you, and appreciate your perspectives. Oh, thank you so much, Raf. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So Rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.